I, I have so much that I want to give you, but you've got to stay with me. And it's not me to you. It's the Lord to both of us, to all of us. Amen. And I hope you love what you're about to hear. Let me read to you some words from a love song, Solomon's song. Beginning at the eighth verse. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if ye find my beloved, that ye tell him that I am sick of love. What is thy beloved more than another beloved, O thou fairest among women? What is thy beloved more than another beloved, that thou dost so charge us? My beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among ten thousand. His head is as the most fine gold. His locks are bushy and black as a raven. His eyes are as the eyes of doves by the rivers of waters, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are as a bed of spices, as sweet flowers. His lips like lilies, dropping sweet-smelling myrrh. His hands are as gold rings set with the burl. His belly is as bright ivory overlaid with sapphires. His legs are as pillars of marble set upon sockets of fine gold. His countenance is as Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. Yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. He is altogether lovely, right. and Solomon was not altogether lovely. I want to speak to you this morning about the altogether loveliness of Jesus of Nazareth. He is your husband. He came to win you and to take you to his home, to be with him forever. The Bible tells us that repeatedly. Israel is referred to as the bride and wife of the Lord in the Old Testament. The church is referred to as the bride of Christ in the New Testament. Jesus spoke of parables where the kingdom of heaven was likened unto a marriage, and he was the bridegroom, and his disciples were the bride. I don't need to prove that point. I want to remind you that you and I were wretched misfits in the conquered and condemned mass of humanity. And the glorious Savior on his white steed came riding by, condemning those around you to a just eternity in hell. And he hauled you up to ride behind him to carry you away into the sunset to be his bride, to be his wife, and to live with him forever in the glories of his father's wealth and riches and grace. He is altogether lovely. Amen. Jesus came with an everlasting love and delivered you out of the mess and mass 
of condemned and fallen man. He set his love upon you, not because you were lovely, but because he loved you. Right. Women say, I want to be loved for who I am. I want to be loved for what I am. Jesus loved you in spite of what you are. Jesus loved you and is going to make you something beautiful. Right. I want to tell you that when you are arrayed in the gown that he has purchased for you with the most valuable commodity the world has ever valued, ever seen, the universe has ever had, it will be without spot and without wrinkle and without any such thing. And you will be holy and without blemish. You look in a mirror this morning and you had many blemishes. You looked and you know all your infirmities. Your flesh is decaying and dying and softening and falling away. But he will make you new. Your body will put on incorruption. And he will give you a glorious body. This is your beloved. Let me tell you about him this morning. I want you to remember that Jesus Christ is a man. Jesus Christ is not merely God. Jesus Christ is a man. If you will help yourself this morning, imagine that Jesus of Nazareth is sitting on the front row. And that I have the awesome and glorious privilege of introducing our guest. He is a man. He is biologically, he is legally, he is in every way a man. He has not ceased to be a man. He stands about as tall as the men in this room. He is a man. He sits on a physical, literal throne. You will behold him with your eyes. He has hands and he has feet and he has a mouth and he has eyes. And his eyes are as a flame of fire, but his eyes are filled with the most tenderness you have ever witnessed in your life. Right. Please remember that he's a man. If Jesus Christ, if the words Jesus Christ in the English language are lost upon you, and you think of them as some doctrinal concept or some spiritual nebulous thing, you are missing the Son of God. Right. He is a man. He could very well enter this assembly and sit on a seat. You could shake his hands. You could embrace him. You could fall at his feet and worship him as people did when they saw him when he was on earth. And those that loved him would not settle for a handshake. Right. They would be like the beloved Apostle John who would push away all other 11 disciples and wiggle his way onto the bosom of the Lord Jesus Christ at supper. Do you have any spirit close to John's this morning? Every wise woman and her father should have a list of qualifications. The traits of the perfect man. Every woman should have a list of the traits that make a perfect man. The ideal husband. Well, I've helped you this morning. I've got a list. I've taken that list from two places. First of all, a survey I happen to have where women were surveyed as to what are the most desirable features or traits of a man for a husband. Second, I've taken them from personal ads. 
And I don't mean those goofy, game-playing, dating games in our stupid newspaper. I mean in marriage services where women are stating what kind of man they would like to have as a husband. And so I've collected some of those, and I want to see if I want to show you that Jesus of Nazareth is the fairest of 10,000. I want to show you that Psalm 45, verse 2, means what it says when it says, Thou art fairer than the children of men. I want you to believe these words spoken in the Song of Solomon. He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Doesn't every man and every woman, doesn't every human that God's place in this earth desire to be loved? To be loved fully? To be loved permanently? To be loved securely? To be loved deeply? To be loved richly? Let me tell you about love and a man that loves you. Forgive me this morning for me and my speech that will detract from the greatest theme I could ever bring before you. I'm sorry, but I'll do the best I can, but it's not enough for the glory of your husband. And I hope you'll pretend in your mind, with the mind of faith, that he's here. And do you love him this morning for all that he is and has done for you? Now follow with me, because here we go. A woman should want a man with accomplishments. A man with accomplishments is a man who has shown his ability and his fortune in life. So you want some accomplishments, they say. Achievement. Does the Lord Jesus of Nazareth, does your Jesus have achievements? Amen. Let me tell you that he created the worlds, and he upholds them by the word of his power. Is that an achievement? Amen. Let me tell you that he defeated Satan and death. They put him in a tomb. He tore the bars away. The grave couldn't hold him. He promised that he'd be in the ground only three days and three nights. And on the, at the appointed hour, he ripped the earth asunder and rose from the dead. Right. Is that an accomplishment to defeat death? Show me the man that can pull off something close to that. I, I read that he mediated the greatest legal acquittal in the history of the universe because he satisfied almighty and infinite justice with his own blood. Is that an accomplishment? Do you want to bless the name of some earthly attorney who influenced some poor judge who was easily influenced by anything? I want to tell you about a judge who cannot be influenced at all and who will by no means Acquit the guilty and the wicked, and my Jesus, your Jesus, our husband, our bridegroom, went into his holy and awesome and terrifying presence with his own blood and won an everlasting acquittal. Amen. Does he have any accomplishments? I say he does. If these big ones aren't enough for you, my Savior, your Lord, your husband, your bridegroom, he fed 5,000 with a small lunch. Does that impress you as an accomplishment? He calmed great storms verbally. 
He changed the Gadarene from a wild man who lived in the tombs to a peaceful man sitting in clothes and in his right mind. He took Saul of Tarsus, who was exceedingly zealous against the church of Christ and made him the greatest apostle. Is that an accomplishment? Does that impress you as a man worthy of your love? Does he have any achievements in his life? He received honor from heaven when heaven opened. And a voice came from the exceeding glory that said, This is my beloved son. Is that an accomplishment? Is that, is that a measure of praise and worthiness that should move you? He raised Lazarus from the dead. He resisted the devil in the wilderness when he was hungry and tired. He wisely answered every devious attempt by men to trick him. This is my beloved. This is your beloved. He forgave the very men who were crucifying him, and he blocked out the sun in its glory while he hung on the cross in his pain and suffering. This is your husband. This is the man Christ Jesus. Does he have any accomplishments? I must read to you one short verse. It's going to get me in trouble time-wise, but listen to this. Amos chapter 5 and verse 8. Seek him that maketh the seven stars and Orion. We're talking about him. We're talking about a man. We're talking about the lover of your soul. Seek him that maketh the seven stars and Orion, and turneth the shadow of death into the morning, and maketh the day dark with night, that calleth for the waters of the sea, and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. That's one verse. That is one verse. Don't you want to take that and pull that out and stick it in your pocket and take it forever? Seek him that made the seven stars in Orion. The Lord is his name. He is altogether lovely. They say that a man ought to have accomplishments in his life to be worthy, to be a good husband. I want to tell you about this husband. He's got a few accomplishments. Amen. They say a man ought to be a leader. A man ought to be a leader. Can a man confidently take charge, make decisions, and be an example for his wife to follow? They say that power or authority may be the greatest attraction characteristic of all. I remember that the Bible tells us that when David had killed Goliath and the way he behaved himself valiantly in conflict, the only Israelite willing to go down and face Goliath, the Israelite women sang, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. But let me do one better than David. Let me tell you about Jesus and whether he is a leader worthy of being your husband. When on earth, angels served him. When on earth, demons trembled before him. When on earth, men and women followed and adored him. Is he a leader? He resolutely faced the cross and went straight toward Jerusalem to take a pain and suffering that none of that all of us would veer to any side to get away from that. He went to it. That's a leader. He did not shirk his duty. I read in the book of the Revelation that he is sitting in his father's throne and breaking the nations with a rod of iron. Does that sound like a leader to you? I read in Ephesians chapter 1, and you ought to see this also. Ephesians chapter 1, the position that he holds as a leader... 
after he was raised from the dead, Ephesians chapter 1, Paul tells us that he was set in verse 20 at God's own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality. Now, does that sound like a leader when you are sat down in a throne far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Does that sound like a leader to you? Amen. That's a leader. When I see heaven open, in Revelation chapter 19, he's riding on a white horse, and he's not in the middle of his armies, he is in the front of his armies, and it says the armies of heaven follow him. Is that a leader? That's a glorious leader. That'll light your soul on fire. He is the blessed and only potentate with a capital P. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I like Paul. The king of kings and lord of lords. Is that a leader? Paul said, follow me even as I follow Christ. He is a leader. Well, they say that a man ought to have occupational ability in order to be a good husband. That is, he ought to have the abilities and the training to hold a good job. Does Jesus have any occupational ability? I read in Luke chapter 1, when those angels appeared to Zacharias and to Elizabeth, that he was told that he would have the throne of his father David and sit on that throne forever and ever. Now, what occupation is that? King. He is king. Is that a good job? Would you like to be married to a king? Jesus is king. And he sits on that throne forever. Oh, but you say, I want to be married to a doctor. Jesus is the great physician. No doctor has ever healed sicknesses like this one. No doctor has ever raised the dead like this physician and doctor. You want to be married to a doctor? I speak to you of the great physician, Jesus Christ. He has occupational ability. You say, but I want to be married to a lawyer. He is the judge of the quick and the dead. And he shall sit in a great white throne before whom the heavens and the earth shall flee away, Revelation chapter 20. You want to be married to a lawyer? How about Jesus Christ? You say, but I prefer a prince. He is the prince of the kings of the earth, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. You say, I want a professor. Why, this man, our, our lover, our husband, our bridegroom, could confound the lawyers of the Jewish nation when he was but 12. Does he have occupational ability? Amen. Can he hold a good job? Can he get a good job? He is altogether lovely. He's the fairest of 10,000. What are you going to bring me? A ditch digger? You going to bring me a sandwich maker? You going to bring me some shop owner? I bring you the king of kings. I hope you love him this morning. He loves you. He loves you before you knew of him, and I hope you saw that in those songs we sang. He loves you before you ever knew you had a husband. And he chose you, not because you were lovely, but he chose you because he's going to make you lovely. Glorious, indeed. Does he have any economic ability? You know, the fourth qualification that they say you ought to look for in a husband is does he have economic ability? Does he have income? Does he have assets? 
in order to be able to financially provide for you. Women speak in their ads of wanting financial security because they're tired of the unemployed. They're tired of the underemployed. They're looking for the welfare of their family. Does Jesus of Nazareth have economic ability? The, I read in Psalm 50 and verse 10, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Amen. The earth in its fullness is His. Why, over in Haggai chapter 2, when those poor people had rebuilt the temple that Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed, Solomon's version, they looked at it and they wept because it was so pitiful. And God came down and He said, All the silver and the gold is mine anyway. Why are you worried about not too much of it in this building? The silver and the gold is mine. Does he have economic ability? Yes. The heathen are his inheritance, and the ends of the earth are his possession. Psalm 2 and verse 8. He bringeth the wind out of his treasuries. You try that one. Have you met a man yet that can pull the wind out of his treasuries? That can write a check called wind blow. Well, I want to tell you about Jesus of Nazareth. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. He calleth the stars by name. And you want a shiny car? Why, well, he's got economic ability. He's driving a three-year-old sports car. I want to tell you about Jesus of Nazareth. He calls the stars by name. He's probably got one named for you. He owns everything in heaven and earth. And what he doesn't have, he can create. Amen. Wow! That's economic ability. Can you be financially secure with your husband? They say that a man ought to have some entertaining ability. A woman loves to have a man who's gracious and creative and can entertain in his home and have guests over and make them feel comfortable. Is Jesus, our husband, our bridegroom, altogether lovely in this trait? David said, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Israel in the wilderness with nothing to eat rose every morning and found angels' food outside their door. When they weren't content with that and said, we need meat, they uttered these words. Can the Lord furnish a table in the wilderness? Did he? Yep, sure did. Several feet deep all the way around Israel as far as a man could walk of quail. Yes, he did. A man once said, in the siege on Samaria, when they were eating doves' dung and donkeys' heads, a man once said, if the Lord were to open the windows of heaven, he couldn't bring wheat cheaply into this city. What happened the next day? That man was crushed because the Lord brought the wealth of that part of the world to their city gates. And they ate and, and counted gold and ate and counted gold and ate and counted gold. Is that entertaining? Is not the Last Supper recognized as the most intimate dinner there has ever been? You want to talk about the entertaining ability of Jesus of Nazareth? When wine was wanting at a feast, he made more wine. Was it inferior wine or the best wine? And the governor of the feast tasted it and said, where have you been hiding this good stuff? Why are we serving the best last? Is he good at entertaining? Amen. Is he altogether lovely? And brethren, I want to tell you something you don't know yet. 
He's preparing a wedding feast for you, the likes of which I cannot describe, nor can you receive. But it is going to be unbelievable. But you'll be there, so you'll believe it. Glorious. It's the culmination of everything in the universe, the marriage supper of the Lamb, when he shall present you as his bride to his father and show his father that he didn't lose one of you. Can he entertain? You wait. I read this in Psalm 16 and verse 11 about what it's like to be in his presence. And let's see if he's, if it's a pleasant place to be. Let me read it to you. Psalm 16, verse 11. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Does that sound like a good entertainer? Amen. And I don't mean cheap entertainment. I'm talking about making you comfortable. I'm talking about being pleasures forevermore. I'm talking about fullness of joy. Does that sound like a comfortable place to be in the presence of your Jesus? Amen. He loves you. They say that a man ought to have some intellectual ability. You ought to be smart. You ought not to marry dumb. You ought to marry smart. Does a man possess the mental powers for success and good conversation? What can we say about our Lord Jesus on this subject? He's omniscient. He knows everything. He is perfect in knowledge. His understanding cannot be searched out. Isaiah 40, Job 37. Where do you want to turn in Job, Psalms, and Isaiah about the infinite wisdom? I read, I want you to turn to Romans 11, though. Romans 11. While you're turning to Romans 11, I read in Colossians chapter 2, that in Him, that is in your Lord Jesus, is hid all the fullness of the wisdom of God. Amen. But look at Romans chapter 11. Does He have intellectual ability? Is He worthy to be your husband, based on His intelligence and His wisdom? I read Paul losing almost control of himself. His heart was indicting a good matter in Romans 11.33 when he said, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. His judgments are unsearchable. His ways past finding out. Who hath known the mind of the Lord? You can't plumb his mind. He can entertain you forever with conversation. He can explain things to you that will take eternity to tell us. And we'll joyfully sit at his feet and learn of this great mind, the Lord Jesus himself. Who's ever been his counselor? Has he ever learned a thing from you or me or any man? Nothing. Women say that they want a man with observational ability, a man that's perceptive and analytical in observing things around him. You tell you this about Jesus. He discerns the thoughts and intents of your heart and is able, and is able to divide between your soul and your spirit. Does that, is that knowing you pretty well? Is that observing you pretty well? I read two verses later in Hebrews chapter 4 that he is touched with all the feelings 
of your infirmities. That sounds pretty sensitive to me. The observational ability of Jesus Christ, he perceives the unspoken thought in friend or foe alike and knows it before it's ever spoken. David said in Psalm 139, Thou knowest every word in my tongue before it comes out. That is your Jesus. When he stood in the temple and saw a little woman, poorly dressed, hunched over, sneaking along the temple wall and cast a couple pennies into the treasury, was he observational? Did he observe her? Did he perceive? Did he know? He also turned and he saw men dressed in fine clothing, walking in with great bags of gold coins and dumping them in the treasury with clamor and noise and ostentatious pretentiousness. And did he observe that also? Is he observational? Is he able to observe and make judgments? And what did he say from that, from witnessing those two events? The little widow woman has cast in more. She's done something praiseworthy. Do you like a husband like that who won't miss anything you do? I want to tell you about the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ will one day stand at his right hand in heaven, and he's going to turn and say, Come, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. And the bride will say, We never did anything like that. We've never done anything that good. Does he have observational ability? He will say, Inasmuch as ye did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Does he observe the little things you do? Amen. Women want a man that observes the little things they do. I present to you your beloved, Jesus Christ. Amen. He sees everything you do. When you're washing those dirty clothes that no one thanks you for, your husband sees what you're doing. And I could go on and on and on. And we all know the little things we do in our life. And we may wonder sometimes, does anybody see? He sees it all. Amen. He's a wonderful husband. They say that you, a man ought to have communication ability. He should be able to talk easily. He should be able to talk pleasantly. He should be able to talk clearly. Did you know that the officers of the Jews, when they got together to try to kill him, they said among themselves, no man ever spake like this man. His enemies said that. Right. His two disciples who had the wonderful encounter on the road to Emmaus and they got to listen to him. You know what they said? After he was gone, did not our hearts burn within us while he spoke? Yeah. Does that sound like a good conversationalist? Would you like to lay in the bosom of that man? And if you think I'm being light, sacrilegious or otherwise, you miss the scriptures. Because John, the apostle, chose that spot. Right. And you ought to be fighting him for it. Would you like to lay in the bosom of Jesus Christ and have him speak to you words that would cause your heart to burn? Fat chance you'll find it here. 
Men are too selfish, hair-lipped, slow of speech, tired, and have nothing to say on earth. But I tell you of Jesus Christ, he can make your heart burn. First time he read the scriptures in his hometown, we learned it a couple months ago. It's one of my, well, it's, it's a favorite place in scripture. Luke chapter 4, you could have heard a pin drop on the floor in the synagogue at Nazareth. He got up and read Isaiah, and he sat down, and he said, This day are these scriptures fulfilled. The most gracious words ever spoken in the history of the universe. Ever. And they all wondered at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. Does he have communication ability? Multitudes followed him to hear his messages. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Wasn't long? Wow, was it powerful? Was it plain? Did it totally turn things upside down as far as Jewish tradition had taught? Solomon once said that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and frames of silver. Beautiful picture. Who fulfilled that best of all? Jesus Christ. Was he a man of many words? He could cut to the point so quickly, so plainly. Does he know how to talk? Speak? Amen. Amen. Character. Don't you want a man with character? Does a man possess and have a virtuous character of righteousness and goodness? The Father testified of Jesus Christ, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. We read it in Psalm 45. It's repeated in Hebrews chapter 1. His father said of him, My son loves righteousness and hates iniquity. Is that good character? What else do you want in good character? How about the graciousness that I just mentioned? I believe graciousness is the crowning character trait of a virtuous person. Did Jesus Christ have it? He had all of it. He is altogether lovely. He was so gracious in his character. The Bible tells us that he always did those things that pleased his father. Is that good character? To always please your father in heaven? It's easier to please a father on earth. They don't expect much. How about your father in heaven? To always please him. That's good character. What character he had. He was sorely tempted just like we are. Did he ever give in? Isn't character that courage and resoluteness of spirit that will not stray to the left hand nor to the right hand when temptation faces you? He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Is his character good enough for you? Jesus has character. Pilate and his wife both testified at his trial that he was a just man. His enemies could find nothing to accuse him of. Even Judas after he had betrayed him, went in through the money in the temple and said, I have betrayed the innocent blood. Great character. When women are married, in our tradition of our nation, these words are uttered in sickness and in health. Because you want a man that will promise that he will love you in sickness and in health. Will Jesus Christ be with you when you're sick? The Apostle Paul prayed three times that the thorn in the flesh should be taken away from him. And what did the Savior say to him? My grace is sufficient for thee, Paul. I'm not going to take it away, but I'm going to stay with you 
and give you an over super abundant measure of grace so that you'll be able to bear it. And do you know what Paul said after that conversation? He said, do you know what he said? He said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in infirmities. I love sickness because when I'm sick, then am I made strong because Jesus comes to me with greater care. Do you want a man who's going to love you when you're old and decrepit? Maybe bedridden. Maybe with a little hose right here to keep you breathing. Maybe with a big hose right here. I want to tell you about your husband. He will be there like he has never been there. And he will take you from that place in a chariot of fire, driven by the angels of God, into heaven and give you a glorified body that will never decay. Because my Jesus, your Jesus, your husband, has obtained immortality for you. Amen. In fact, over there in the book of Revelation, he says he's got a place ready for you that he's still working on. He's so excited about the place he's working on for you. I go to prepare a place for you, he said. And you know what? There is no more sickness there. So while your husband may say, in sickness and in health, Jesus says, I'll take you right through it and take away sickness. Right. I like that. They say for better or for worse. It didn't matter whether Paul was in prison. Was that pretty bad? Was that worse? Did Jesus still love him there? Do you know what I read Paul doing in the middle of a dungeon? Singing. Now what caused him to sing? in a dungeon because Jesus his husband was there when David had committed adultery and murdered one of his best friends was Jesus with him when he said I have sinned said I've forgiven you right your son will still sit on my throne I read about this Savior that you have, this husband, this friend, this beloved, that he makes all things new. So when on earth you might say, for better or for worse, he says, I'll just make all things new. Revelation 21 and verse 5. He gets rid of the worse. It'll only be good and very good in heaven. Are you looking for a man that's faithful and loyal? You know what he did? He promised he would never leave you nor forsake you. Every woman wants to be loved securely so that she can count on the fact that her husband would never leave her. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And from the man that cannot lie, that is a comforting promise. Never forget that. This man said to you, and I present Jesus of Nazareth, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He has promised and declared that nothing, nothing, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth. Now just think of all that collection of words. Not death, not life, not angels, not principalities, not height, not depth, not things present, past, future, can separate you from my love. Romans chapter 8, who shall separate us? From the love of Christ. Is that a secure relationship? 
that sound like a loyal and faithful husband? You have one. Amen. Does this man have his father's blessing? Do you want to marry a man who's got his father behind him? Blessing the relationship and blessing him? Who will have an inheritance for him someday to add to the marital estate? Wow. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And do you know where this son got his bride? The way that all brides ought to be gotten. The Father chose you before the foundation of the world to be his son's bride. Beautiful. Yes, the Father's blessing is upon your marriage to Jesus Christ. I read in personal ads of women looking for husbands that they don't want any bad habits. You know, men get caught up and trapped in vices like drunkenness, laziness, gluttony, gambling. Does Jesus have any of those? Jesus behaved himself perfectly as testified by friend and foe alike in his life. Even his enemies, I repeat myself, could not find anything to accuse him of at his trial when they were digging for everything they could. You know, it doesn't take much digging on our leaders, does it? But they did all the digging. They Three and a half years, they connived and conspired and tried to trick him, trap him, and find something wrong in his life. And when he was on trial and they all brought their arguments forward, there was nothing they could accuse him of. No bad habits. Do you want a man that's true and honest? Do you want a man that when he says something to you, he tells you the truth? He doesn't deceive you and play games with your heart. Do you want a husband that is true and honest? His name is Truth, John 14, 6. That glorious symbol of him sitting on his white horse in Revelation chapter 19, do you know what he's called? His name is called Faithful and True. Can you believe him? What a husband. This is my beloved. This is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. There is no deceit in his mouth. Men didn't believe him because he told them the truth. You know, when you speak the truth, men won't believe it. If you see a man speaking, preaching, radio, television, books, or in person, and a great, cl- great crowds go to hear him, you can know one thing for sure. He is not teaching the truth. Amen. And if you can't find the error, then you need to look more closely because it's there. The truth has never been received by sinful men. And they didn't receive him because he spoke the truth. Did you know that he cannot lie? Isn't that glorious? He promised eternal life to his bride before the world began. And he cannot lie. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. Does he have an inheritance? Don't you want to marry a man that's got an inheritance? That when his father, that his father is going to give a great gift to add to your marital estate? Here's what Jesus said to you. And if you take it any less personally than I'm trying to make it, you miss. Jesus said this to you. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. Does he have an inheritance? Incorruptible, undefiled, and reserved in heaven for you. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, he prayed that we might know the exceeding riches of his inheritance. Is he a man able to comfort? 
Every woman should want a man that can comfort her when she needs comforting. Can he comfort? He called himself the comforter, and he said that he would send another comforter to replace himself. Right. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that he is the God of all comfort. Is he peaceful? Do you want to be married to a man that's peaceful? Keeps peaceful relationships around him? Our Lord says this, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Does that sound like a peaceful man? And when he speaks, does he mean it? Can he perform it? When he said peace in the middle of a hurricane, what happened? There was a great calm. When he speaks peace, there is peace. Amen. And you know what he says? Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Is that comforting? Is that peaceful? And you know what his kingdom is described as? His kingdom is described as righteousness and <coughs> peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. If you want to be taken to a peaceful place, it's where Jesus is your husband and your Lord. Is he compassionate? Don't you want a compassionate husband who will be sensitive and compassionate toward you? How about Jesus when he happened upon the city of Nain, Luke chapter 7, and saw the poor widow woman following the casket of her only son? Was Jesus compassionate? It says he had compassion on her. What did he do for her? Did he comfort her? He delivered her son living to her. Did she ask him? No. Was he still compassionate? Yes. Is he affectionate? Do you want an affectionate husband that likes to dote on you, likes to please you, likes to pamper you? Why did he, why did he let John lay on his bosom at supper? Does that sound pretty affectionate to you? It sounds very affectionate. Why did he inspire the Holy Scriptures to tell us about that? I think that's pretty affectionate. He could have allowed it to happen, and we would have never known about it, but he wanted us to know something about him. That same John wrote over in 1 John chapter 1, that which we have seen with our eyes, that which we have handled. John liked to talk about touching his husband, his Lord Jesus. Is he affectionate? He wept at the funeral of Lazarus with his friends Mary and Martha. Mary Magdalene went to a sepulcher three days after her husband had been buried. And she walked up to the gardener. The gardener walked up to her and said, Woman, why weepest thou? Does that sound affectionate to you? She didn't recognize him, and she said, If you've taken him away, please show me where you've taken him. He said one word. Do you know what that one word was? Mary. Did she know that it was her husband, dear? Amen. Is he affectionate? Is he protective? Don't you want to marry a man who's protective? Don't you want a husband that will protect you from harm? Listen to what he says. 
I give unto my bride eternal life, and she shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck her out of my hand. My Father which gave her me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck her out of my Father's hand. Does that sound like a protector? Does that sound like you're safe in the love of Jesus? No man can pluck you out of his hand or out of his Father's hand. Is he handsome? Woman wants to marry a good-looking man. Is Jesus handsome? I thought that some of you might consider me almost sacrilegious to say that is Jesus handsome. Let me tell you, on earth, he wasn't. The Bible tells us that on earth, there was nothing in him that was desirable. But he is not in his humiliation now. He is in his glorification. I just want to tell you about me. When I read Revelation 19, and John writes, and I saw heaven opened, and him sitting on a white horse, whose name is faithful and true, I get a rush through my soul of the most beautiful sight I've ever seen and ever could see. When I see him leading forth the armies of heaven, he is altogether lovely. When I turn to the first chapter of Revelation, and I see him arrayed in white linen, wrapped about with a golden girdle, his hair as white as snow, and his eyes like flames of fire, and his feet like burning brass. He is altogether lovely. Yes, he's handsome. He is awesome. He is so gorgeous. I hope you feel the same way about him. He's beautiful. To run to those feet and to hold on to those feet and know that they're not spiritual feet that are going to disappear in your grasp. They are real feet. And you will see the real feet of Jesus. And have his hand upon your shoulder. Say, stand up. He's altogether lovely. Amen. He may not have the black hair of Song of Solomon 5. His hair may be as white as snow, but on that white horse with a vesture dipped in blood, what a sight. With a sword proceeding out of his mouth and a name on his thigh, the Word of God. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yes, he's handsome. Does he remember? Does he remember the details? You know, every woman wants to marry a husband that might remember her anniversary and her birthday. Does our Lord Jesus remember? He says this about his memory in his relationships, that there isn't a sparrow that falls that he doesn't know about it. And he says to you, his bride, and you know you're worth a whole lot more to me than many sparrows. Does he say that? He said that to you. He remembers. Do you know how much he remembers about you? The the very hairs of your head are numbered. Now that's that's remembering some details. That's better than an anniversary. That's better than a birthday. The very hairs of your head are numbered. You say, but that number's changing. He knows that. 
He remembers all those details. Do you know what he says? He remembers our frame, that we are dust. Don't, aren't you glad he remembers that? Yeah. That's the thing I'm the most glad about, that he remembers that my frame is dust. I was made from dust, and I'm sinful dust. And he remembers that. He remembers that. Every time I come and say, I'm sorry for blowing it as your wife. He says, I know. I know you're forgiven. He remembers. Is he cheerful? In his presence, there is fullness of joy. Now, did you remember Psalm 45? Because he loved righteousness and hated wickedness, his father has anointed him with the oil of gladness above his fellows. Thou art fairer than the sons of men. Thou art fairer than the children of men because he's been given the oil of gladness, which is the Holy Ghost, which the first fruit is, the fruit is joy more abundantly than any man has ever been given. He's filled with joy. And this morning's sermon is not somber. It's sublime. That's why we sang those songs. That's why we sang six of them. It's a time to celebrate the love that Jesus Christ has for his bride. He is your husband. May I introduce to you Jesus of Nazareth. I've made some introductions before, but I've never made an introduction like this. It's glorious. Is he a seeking man? Every woman wants to marry a man. She likes to think in her heart of hearts, what if I just didn't, what if I just wasn't there some night? Would he miss me? Would he seek me? Would he come looking for me? Am I important enough that he'd come for me? Every woman thinks that. At least they tell me. Makes sense. Every woman wants to, wants to know that her husband would come looking for her. What if I left? What if I got discouraged sometime and left? Would he come and track me down? Would he search the globe looking for me? Because that's the love that a woman wants from her husband. Let me tell you about Jesus. He rejoices at the opportunity to seek you when you leave him. Do you know what he says? He says there's more joy in heaven when I get to go bring her back than for 90 and 9 that never left. That's what he says. He says, just like a shepherd will leave the ninety and nine and go out in the darkness and danger to find that one lost sheep, so he seeks his own. Like a woman who loses one coin, puts the nine aside and searches diligently up and down inside her house till she finds that lost coin. And then she throws a party. That is Luke 15. That's the parable of the prodigal. And the message is Jesus loves to seek his own. Jesus loves to be waiting out on the road when the prodigal returns. Do you want a man like that? Do you want a man that ever, if you were ever discouraged and you left, he would hunt you down and search the globe over for you? Jesus will never let you get lost. He will find you and he will seek you because you are his bride and he will not lose you. And he loves you with the love that we all desire. Does he, is he a loving husband? Could I preach the whole hour on this? Is he a loving husband? 
He loves you so much that, like I've already said, death and life are nothing. Nothing can separate you from his love. Not height, not depth, things in the past, things in the future, principalities, powers, distresses, persecutions, nothing. Does he love you generally? Promiscuously? Does he love a lot? Does he love a lot of people? No, he has one bride. He has one bride, and you are that one bride. You know, the poor Arminians preach a Jesus who'd want his love. Who would want the love of the Arminian Jesus? Because the ones in hell would be able to sing as much of his love as the ones in heaven because he loved them both equally. Now, is that pitiful love? But I want to tell you about the love of your Jesus. He has a special love, and he doesn't love all. That's why I started out by telling you Jesus on his white horse rode into a conquered camp of captives and condemning those around you to an eternity in hell. He hauled you up on his white steed behind him to take you to his home because he loved you particularly and specially and uniquely like he did not others. That makes love valuable. To think that loving everyone, those in hell and those in heaven, those the bride and those rejected, are all loved, devalues love to nothing. It's the love of a whore. Do you understand that? It's special love that accomplishes something that is glorious love, and he loves you that way. Is he clever? Have you ever considered a lily? That Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these? Do you want to be married to a clever man? Whenever you consider a horse, for those of you that are horse lovers, remember that he created the horse for you. You can read about it in Job 39. You ever consider the sunset, the full moon, the stars? He made them all for you, Genesis 1.16. He's a clever husband. You know, this husband of yours, he just doesn't love you to a point. He loves you until you are perfect. You know, an earthly man might just love you as good as he thinks you are and not love you beyond that. This Savior loves you and will make you perfect so that you are lovable. He loves you forever. He's loved you from eternity. He will love you to eternity. He didn't love you because you did something or because you are something. Because you know that did something and being something can disappear with time. He loves you because he loves you. He loves you because he chose to love you. Do you want a hard-working husband? Jesus said, I must be about the work that my father gave me to do. And he did it. He worked so diligently that according to Mark 6.31, he did not have the leisure, no, not to eat. That's a hard-working man. That is your beloved. We say in our marriage, vows till death do us part. I want to tell you that Jesus does so much better than those trite words. He loves you in death, through death, beyond death, and has destroyed death for you so that you can live forever. And he's taking you to a place where you can keep a tree. It's 
called the tree of life. That is how Jesus loves you. Till death do us part is not good enough, because death cannot separate you from his love, like death will separate you from the love of anyone on earth. It only unites you to the love of your Savior and husband in heaven. Women, when they look for a man, want a good lifestyle. They want a comfortable lifestyle to be with their husband. Well, I read that he's preparing a place for you to spend eternity where there is no death, neither sorrow nor crying. And there is no need of a son there because he is the light and the glory of the place. That sounds pretty good. That sounds like a pretty nice lifestyle. Your husband is doing that for you. This is not a joke. He is in heaven preparing a place for you where there is no sorrow, neither death, nor tears, nor crying, because he's making all things new. Does he have a good name? He has a name which is above every name. I'm running out of time. But I just want to, I'll just quickly share a few more with you. What does his name mean? Jesus. Jehovah. Joshua. I am that I am is your Savior. That's what his name means. Jesus. He's so glorious, I can't tell you all about him. Because he has a name written also on that white horse in Revelation 19 that only he himself knew. So it's better than I've told you. Some men today say they love a woman, but will not commit to her. Ever heard that? He won't marry her. He wants to use her, but he won't marry her. Jesus laid down his life for you. I'd say that's a pretty big commitment. Is he jealous? Do you want a jealous husband that wants your love so much because you're so special and important to him that he want, that he is jealous of any competitor? Is our, and if you don't like jealousy on the part of a man, you don't understand love. You ought to go read your Bibles and find out about the test of jealousy in the book of Numbers and find out how the Song of Solomon ends in chapter 8. Jealousy is the proof of love. Is he jealous? His name is Jealous with a capital J. Right. And he expects you to love him with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and he will not put up with any competitors. Is he easily pleased? Don't you want a husband that's easily pleased? Is Jesus easily pleased? He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is an easy husband. He's so glorious, he could be very demanding, but he's easy. What a glorious husband I tell you about this morning. Is he generous or is he selfish? Is he generous or is he stingy and tight? Is he generous or is he conservative? Or does he like to lavish love and gifts and attention on his wife? You know the answer to that. And he's preparing the greatest, the greatest demonstration of his love ever. When we get to heaven and we see the transaction that took place as he won his bride and brings her to his father. Does he want you to wear a nice dress? at your wedding. You say a dress is kind of trite. 
Let's not mock the word of God. The Bible speaks about the dress that you will wear. Does he believe in you wearing a nice dress? What price has he paid for your dress? He paid the price of the most valuable commodity in the universe, his own precious blood, to buy you a dress that has no spots, it has no wrinkles, nor any such thing. There are no blemishes in it. He bought that with his own precious blood so that you could wear it. And that is the righteousness of his bride, which he gave her. That is a beautiful dress. Last of all, other than the ones I skipped, the, the dowry was a great concept and a great practice in the Old Testament. It separated the men from the boys. Boys couldn't pay for a good woman. Men could. It also proved that a man really loved a woman when he was willing to get rid of the savings of all the effort he'd put forth so far in his life to get her. Has Jesus paid a dowry for you? Many may claim to love you, but I ask you, when they say that they love you, what price have they paid to prove their love? What price have they paid to prove their love? Jesus paid a dowry to Almighty God in the form of his precious blood to buy you from the hand of justice where you stood condemned and guilty. Now you're safe as his bride to live forever. What a dowry. The most valuable commodity in the universe. He paid it willingly. He secured it. He obtained it. He was willing to let himself bleed. He laid down his life and they shed his blood so that he could go into the presence of the Almighty God through the eternal spirit and offer that blood as a dowry for you, the one the Father had chosen. That is beautiful. Jesus is a great husband. He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved and this is my friend. Do you know your bridegroom husband? May I introduce you to Jesus of Nazareth? Has he won your heart as he did the Apostle Paul who said the love of Christ constrained him? That love by that husband dear so moved Paul he ran all over the known world preaching the gospel, suffering, beatings, stonings, shipwreck, and so forth because he knew that he had a husband dear that loved him greatly. Is he your all in all? As David said, whom have I in heaven or in earth beside thee? Do you really believe that? If you really believe that, nothing can hurt you in this life. Nothing can hurt you at the moment of death because your all in all is safely there by your side to take you through that little curtain into his glorious presence because he loves you and he's waiting for you to be with him so much so that Paul would say, to live is Christ. To die is gain. Because then I'm with Christ. That's what Paul said. What substitute will you pick from this world to replace him? An earthly husband? A job? A family? A house? What substitute will you pick to replace the husband I've told you about? 
And I ask you this, how offended should he be if you don't appreciate him or his love for you? I think Psalm 2 fits well, kiss the sun, lest he be angry. Will you say yes to this glorious bridegroom? Is he asking? You might say to me this morning. I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open that door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Kings and their queens did not sleep in rooms like we sleep in our houses. The king had his room. He didn't want some snoring wife keeping him awake every night. Often he had more than one wife. But he would go and knock at that door, or he would send a message as to who was to be with him that night. And this husband, this king, your savior, your bridegroom, is knocking at your door, asking you, Will you let him in because he wants to sup with you and you with him and have fellowship with you? He wants a close, intimate, personal relationship with you. The Bible describes that in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. He is altogether lovely. He is fairer than the children of men. I hope this morning you love him a little bit more and you see his love for you just a little bit more. Please stand with me. Father in heaven, you were able to bless the cruise of oil that it wasted not, and the meal that it did not run out. You were able to bless a young boy's small lunch to feed a great multitude. I pray that you will take these meager words and bless them and multiply them to the hearts of your saints the dear bride of your son, Jesus, that their hearts might be encouraged, comforted, strengthened, excited, and that they might go from this place knowing that you have sought them and loved them with an everlasting love and given them to your son, Jesus, who died to save them. And that the whole culmination of life and death is to be in your presence forevermore realizing the full benefits, the full estate, the exceeding riches of your glory and your grace through Christ Jesus, our husband, in whose name we pray, amen. Amen. You are dismissed.